0: We're five days away from the trade deadline and some movement has been made by a team that we least expect. Who else may be coming and going between now and then? And will my beloved Mets be buyers or sellers? Jalen Brown signed the richest contract in NBA history. Is that a mistake on the Celtics part? Speaking of contracts, you've had a few deals in the NFL, including Saquon Barkley, but is this the beginning of the end of his tenure in New York? A not-so-surprising retirement in the NHL, Jim Harbaugh facing a suspension at Michigan, a couple of fights this Saturday, and in boxing in the MMA, with the former being one that we've been waiting for in Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford. Plenty to sink our teeth into as we end closer to the weekend and the end of the month. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it, just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. We're just about ready to turn the page on the month of July. But we've got lots to unpack as the sports universe is about to pick up some steam over the next few days as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past one day, I welcome you guys and gals back. And if you hadn't listened, yesterday I released a special podcast with a guest, Erica Fernandez of the Sporting News, as we chop it up a little bit about her journalism career. Also, what it's like to be a woman on the beat and a Latina as well. So, I find it fascinating and I'm sure you'll find it too, just to get her two cents on what's going on. I'd appreciate it if you go check it out on whichever platform that you listen to. Also, subscribe, rate, and review as I always like to say or throw in there so you definitely had that going on yesterday but here we are today a Thursday just a few days before the trade deadline and who would have thought that the one team that is now probably going to start the domino effect throughout the sport and you're going to hear all the rumblings and the names that we've talked about here for weeks but the first domino to fall no it was not the Baltimore Orioles no it was not the Houston Astros No, it was not the New York Yankees. It wasn't any of those teams. The first team to fire a shot across the trade deadline bow are the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And no, it was not Shohei Ohtani. It's been reported that the Angels are not going to include Shohei Ohtani in any trades between now and August 1st. But they did bring in another pitcher, that being Lucas Giolito of the White Sox, where a lot of people thought that he was going to be on the move, that he was going to be traded from the Windy City, but the last place that I'm sure a lot of people thought was that he would end up in Anaheim to be a part of an Angel team that, as of right this second, looks like they're going to try to make a push. Now, that could be one of two things when you think about it. One, if they feel like they're within striking distance, and technically they are. I mean, you can't get crazy about their playoff hopes because they've been way too inconsistent, and you still have Mike Trout, who has not come back from the IL with that broken wrist. He's still probably two, three weeks away at best. But for an Angel team that feels, with just four games back and three in the loss for the final wildcard spot in the American League, they figure, what the hell? So why not bring in some reinforcements, considering that Otani has had issues with blisters and cracked fingernails, so Giolito could pretty much smooth right into that spot of his, not to say that's going to knock him out of the rotation, but just in case, you bring in a guy who, on his best day, could be a number two starter, but we know he's somewhere in the middle of three or four, when it's all said and done. So that's the first thing, why the Angels made this trade, and number two, maybe it's telling Otani, and granted, Lucas Giolito is not one of your top five, or even ten starters, in the major league. So it's not as if you're bringing in a guy, that Is going to light the world on fire or is going to have a tremendous impact on this team down the stretch. But maybe by bringing him in, it's also sending a message to Otani and his team, his representatives, that we mean business. We want to keep Otani as part of the fold here for at least another eight to 10 years. And maybe that could be also reinforcements for the Angels to have a guy like Giolito to replace Otani when we think he's going to be out the door come this offseason. I understand there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. I look at it more from an optimistic standpoint, although I although I don't think Otani's going to come back. But if you're Artie Moreno and the GM and you're thinking that we bring in a guy like Giolito to show Otani that we mean business to try to win this year, especially with him on the team, and B, that we could do whatever it takes to keep you here, well, Giolito is small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, but if that's going to be their line of thinking... Thank God bless him. Let's see how this all transpires here over the course of the next few days and obviously the final two months of the season. And then you also had another trade, a minor one at that, where the Dodgers traded for Ahmed Rosario, two ex-Mets went in this deal, where and even teammates for that matter, where Rosario goes from Cleveland to LA, and then you have Noah Syndergaard, who had been on the IL and has pitched awful this year, hasn't pitched in the last month, he goes to Cleveland, let's see if he can resurrect his career and see whether or not he can make the Guardians a part of the AL Central mix to see if they could get into the postseason similar to what they did last year when they had that late surge in August and September. And actually had a good postseason where they beat the Rays in two games and pushed the Yankees to a fifth game in the division series. So that's a crapshoot for both teams. I know Rosario's going to bring some athleticism. I believe he's also in the final year of a contract. So who knows if he's going to stick around or if the Dodgers if he's going to re-sign with them this coming off-season, But as we all know, it's not about that. It's about trying to get those players in, to make those deals, to get your team better, to put yourself in a position, especially if you're the Dodgers, to get back to a World Series and win. I don't know if Rosario's going to move the needle in that regard, but sure enough, the Dodgers did make a trade, and let's see what they're going to do here over the course of the next few days, especially when it comes to pitching, because we know the Dodgers, if they're going to go anywhere in October, they have to have a deep rotation and see if they could get back to a World Series of win similar to the pandemic year in 2020. And when we look at the big picture here, when it comes to the trade deadline, we know who the cast of characters are. We know which players could be on the move, whether your name is Marcus Stroman, Lance Lynn, especially from a pitching standpoint. Relievers could come and go at any second. I know there's a lot of rumors for the Pirates, whether you have the two pitchers there, Mitch Keller, which why would you trade him when you still have three years left before you could even think about extending him to a long-term deal. You also have Bednar, the closer. You wonder whether or not the Pirates are going to cut bait with him to see if they could bring back some quality as far as prospects or even maybe some players in return. So you figure one of those two guys may be on the move. Position players like Cody Bellinger, Even a guy like Juan Soto, which is a little bit bigger and maybe would be tough to trade at this point, but I'll get to him in a second. David Robertson, he's another reliever too that you would think the Mets would trade considering they have Edwin Diaz who's on the mend, not to say he's going to come back this year. And if I'm the Mets, I wouldn't even look at bringing back Diaz this year. And I know he's made a big push to try to get back toward the end of this regular season, whether it be some point in the month of September, but the Mets aren't going anywhere And I'll get to them in a second, but Robertson you think will be gone. Tommy Pham is a guy's name you've heard that maybe he could be a key component. Not to say he's going to also be a guy that's going to change the game as far as a team looking to make it to the postseason, but he's a good guy off the bench, a good guy with a decent bat. So you wonder whether or not a team's going to be out there to try to pluck him off of the Met roster. You also have maybe Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander I think if you're a team, and I'll just throw the Orioles in the mix, not to say that they're rumored to go after either Scherzer or Verlander, but if I'm Baltimore, I'd probably put more trust in Verlander here based on what he's done here over the last month. He had a very good performance against the Yankees there on Tuesday night where he pitched six scoreless innings, and he's pitched a lot better of late, more so than Scherzer, who's been lit up like a Christmas tree. Last performance against the Red Sox just is all you need to know about how he's pitched, and he's been up and down as we know. But when you look at those two guys, will they be on the block come August 1st by 6 p.m.? I believe that's when the deadline is. And then Juan Soto, I get it that the Padres still have a year and a half left to utilize him to see whether or not he's going to be a good fit on that team. The Padres, as we know, have not clicked on any type of cylinders this year. And you wonder, they could probably get a surplus of players back, granted that he's still young and he still has a lot of potential, although to me, his star has fallen big time since his days in Washington, but he's a guy that I'm sure a few people may flirt with as far as bringing him in, and with Boris as his agent, it's a little bit risky, even though you have a year plus with him on your team, whomever trades for him, but there's no guarantee that he's going to stick around and stay with you for another 8-10 to years on top of that, so you have that going on. As far as those guys, you would think they're going to be the focal point as to who's going to be traded between now and Tuesday. Has there been any other players that could be a dark horse or a guy that could be on the block here over the next few days? I really don't have a guy or have not really read the tea leaves as to who that guy's going to be. But as far as like a blockbuster deal, which is very rare... The last one I could think of was years ago when the Dodgers traded for Manny Machado and that was in the middle of the season. I remember that he was a rental before going to a World Series in 2018 and then he signed with San Diego as we know in that offseason. But if it's not going to be Soto or Verlander, and I get it, Verlander just has another year left on his contract. It's not as if he's in the middle of a long-term deal. And remember, he was also a deadline deal back in 17 when he was traded from Detroit to Houston. And we saw what happened there as the Astros won a World Series. I get a cheating scandal that year and all. But we will pay a lot of attention here, especially as we get to Monday's podcast. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of players traded between now and then. You know I'm going to take a pulse of this on an hour-by-hour basis. And as far as my team, if you're Steve Cohen and Billy Epler, whatever you could get, and I'm not trying to say a bag of baseballs by any stretch, but... To me, everybody's on the block here. Or just about. You're not going to trade Pete Alonso. You're not going to trade certain players, of course, that are, are untouchable. But to me, Scherzer, he's going to be in any trade at this point. Same for Verlander. Robertson, as I mentioned, in Fam. those guys I think will be out the door, no doubt. Because how I look at this team... They're not going to go to the playoffs, as I've said, God knows how long. And they have an interesting stretch here because the next seven games that they have starting tonight, they play four against the Nationals and three in Kansas City. Now, even though the deadline overlaps their series in Kansas City next week, but do I really see the Mets winning five of the next six as they're currently, what, seven games on the 500 at the moment? And they're not going to be any threat, I don't care. Even if they do sweep the Nationals and win that first game in Kansas City prior to the deadline, this team is not going to be a part of October the way they were last year. They're just not. Right now, when you look at the standings, they have to leapfrog over a zillion teams. They are, all right, six in the loss, but seven and a half back. They still have to get past the Padres, the Cubs, the D-backs, the Marlins before they can even get to the Reds. And I understand that there's a log jam, as we talked about on Monday, from the top wild card team in the Giants to the, I'll go to the Diamondbacks, because you have those five teams that are separated by one game, and we understand anything can happen, but you still have to get past the Padres, who are right now currently tied in the loss, but the Padres have a two-game advantage, so the Mets have two games in hand against San Diego, as they're 49-54, Mets 47-54. Then you have the Cubs, which you think they're going to trade some pieces here. As I mentioned, Bellinger and Strowman could be on the move. The Marlins, although they did split the two games in Tampa over the last couple of days, but are they going to make any moves here to improve themselves? Or do you think they're going to fall out of the picture? Same for the Diamondbacks, who certainly have not played well. And even with the Cubs winning five in a row, I'm not sold on whether or not that they're going to be big-time buyers here between now and August 1st. So... Is it over? Absolutely not. They're still mathematically alive as we know. But it's just going to be an insurmountable task for this team to all of a sudden get hot and get on track to the point where they're going to be in the thick of things, let's just say, a month from now. So that's what I have with the trade deadline. Let's see what's going to happen there. As far as series over the course of this early part of the week, you had the Orioles lose two out of three in Philadelphia after winning three out of four in Tampa over the weekend, and then they did win that first game on Monday, so they've actually lost the last two, and they have the Yankees coming to town over the weekend, so this is going to be a big test for the Yankees, as they are not going to be a threat to the division, but we know that the Yankees are treading water there, as far as the wild card goes, as they're sitting in last place in the AL East, not by a big margin by any stretch, I believe it's just a game on the Red Sox, and that's going to be interesting on whether or not what the Yankees are going to do here, as well as the Red Sox, You would figure both teams are going to try to make a push. They're going to make some trades to put themselves in a position to make it into October. And as we all know, it's going to be a dice roll from that point on. The Brewers, they were able to win two out of three against the Reds as they continue to beat up on Cincinnati here. And I believe it's the last time these two teams are going to play, which is a shame. But that's what happens when you have the balanced schedule where everybody's going to play everybody. The imbalanced schedule is no longer a part of the Major League Baseball mix. So, let's see if the Brewers could capitalize on that. But the Brewers, to me, they're a team that has pitching, their offense, let's see if they're going to try to get a bat, which would be huge for that team. And we understand they have a very good closer in Devin Williams, but they can't win a bunch of 3-2 games between now and into October. They're going to have to hit, they're going to have to have some games where their offense is going to have to win. It can't be all on their pitching. So, let's see what the Brewers do here over the course of the next handful of days of course, with the deadline approaching quickly. Texas won a big game for them yesterday as they mashed a bunch of home runs, had benches cleared in the process. And for them to get out of Houston with a win as they lost the first two games of that series with the Astros looking to draw even in the AL West. So that was big for Texas to get that win as they still keep pace, as they're still in first place, as they have been pretty much from the start of this year. And For Texas, let's see if that's going to be a building block for them to try to get them to a point where they could gain some separation on the Astros. And you wonder whether or not the Astros are going to try to get a starter. We know Valdez is good. And after that, it's a little bit dicey. We've talked about how they've had a lot of injuries with their pitching staff. So for them to get, I'm not going to say a Justin Verlander as they did at the deadline there back six years ago, but I'm sure they're working the phones to see who they could get to be a part of their rotation To see if they could defend their title from last year. As we talked about with the Red Sox and the Yankees. I'll talk about them real quick. As they had two big series this week. The Red Sox beat the Braves twice. Good for them. As they are looking to make a push there at the wild card. And we'll get through the wild card races in a second. And then the Yankees split with the Mets here. As they won last night. And a good sign for the Yankees. Carlos Rodon finally had a good start. He was okay in the game. Wasn't lights out by any stretch, even when you look at the score being 3-1. to one. Listen, he pitched well enough to win. Obviously, the Mets didn't hit. Their defense was atrocious there yesterday as they're throwing a the ball over the lot, which accounted for a lot of their runs, and only three runs for that matter. But when we look at Rodon, yesterday he did go 5-2. and two-thirds. All right, you would have liked to see him go at least 6. He did give up one run, walked three, four hits. Nothing to write home about, but considering the way he's performed since coming back, off of the I.L. missing the first three plus months of the season. That's something at least you could hang your hat on. And let's see if you could build off that as we get into August. And obviously for a pennant chase here over the next two months. But as far as this weekend, we talked about Yankees and Orioles. That's a big series to keep an eye on. The Angels going to Toronto. That's one to also pay attention to because the Angels have an interesting stretch. As they go to Toronto and then after this go to Atlanta. So let's see where they stand as we get closer to August 1st. And by them bringing in Giolito, let's see if they make another move here between now and then. So something to keep an eye on there. The Brewers go to Atlanta. So let's see if the Braves could bounce back after getting beat up in Beantown. So that's a series that we'd also keep an eye on. Tampa going to Houston. That's an interesting series. And then after that, you have them coming to New York. I believe that's next weekend where the Rays, no, as a matter of fact, Tampa plays Houston this weekend, and then they come to New York to play the Yankees. Tampa, that is. And then next weekend, the Astros come to town for four, and it's the first time the Astros and Yankees will play each other since the championship series of last year. So to think, they played last October, so it's been, or will be, 10 months between the last time the Yankees played the Astros until they meet up for the first time, which will be a week from today. So something to keep an eye on there. So Tampa, who has not played well, and have back-to-back series on the road in Houston and New York before the Astros come to New York to play the Yankees. So interesting stretch there for all three of those teams as they'll play one another. And then you have Seattle, Arizona. Eh. Texas at San Diego. Eh. Boston playing at San Francisco as the Giants are looking to try to see what they could do out there in the NL West. And again, at the top of the NL wildcard Card. Leaderboard, and then you have the Reds going to LA after losing two out of three to Milwaukee. So, interesting series here this weekend that we could keep an eye on. And as far as the wild card goes, we already talked about what's happening there in the NL, in the AL. You have Tampa four games, or really three games ahead of the Astros, two in the loss. And three in the loss to Toronto, but four games ahead. Now the Astros and Blue Jays have games in hand against Tampa. So that's something to keep in mind. Then you have the Red Sox, who are a game and a half. One in the loss behind Toronto. Yankees, two in the loss. Two and a half behind the Blue Jays. And then you have the Angels, who are four back. Seattle, four and a half. And do I even want to throw Cleveland in there? More so for a division than you have for a wild card. But I'll put them there as they're at 500 and five in the loss, five and a half back of the Blue Jays in the American League and the National League. We've already covered there with the wild card. As we get closer to the deadline, as we've talked about here, ad nauseum and ad infinitum, and you know, come Monday, we'll recap what is taking place not only throughout the weekend, keep you up to date with what's happening in the wild card, but even more so with who gets traded where, as we are now inching closer to the deadline, the first day of August. All right, let me put on my helmet and shoulder pads to go through the NFL. And yes, I'm bringing up the NFL now because training camps have opened. Of course, I'm not going to get crazy about what's gone on to this point. I get it that Aaron Rodgers took a, what, $35 million pay cut. Good for him. He's made a ton of money throughout his career. And knowing that his last hurrah as far as getting to a Super Bowl and with all the hoopla and all the hype and the pressure with hard knocks and their upcoming season... I'm sure Aaron Rodgers knows that if he somehow, someway gets to and wins the Super Bowl, whether it be this year or next, they might as well start building a statue for him. And that's all I'm going to say. That's not a prediction. That's not any type of declaration or proclamation on my part. But I'm sure with Rodgers taking that pay cut, he knows damn well that it's all about trying to get to and win a Super Bowl. It's not about the headlines. It's not about the cameras rolling there in Florham Park. I'm sure he's aware that For whatever money that he could fork over to help this team win, and knows that this team has not won a Super Bowl in what? 54 years since Joe Willie, and knowing that he could be alongside Joe Willie if he wins a Super Bowl, and will, like I said, that parade will be just sick, whether it's out in New Jersey or in lower Manhattan. Doesn't matter, and I don't understand why I'm even talking about this right now, because with training camps opening, and here I am discussing Aaron Rodgers, a lot of that has to do with the pay cut, but let me pivot from there, you get my point, not only the Jet fan does, and I'm sure they now have dreams of Super Bowl visions dancing in their head, but the other team across the locker room at MetLife, Saquon Barkley, as we talked about on Monday, with the deadline, that was the week before, but... He did sign that one year, $11 million offer, which he got a $900,000 raise. You could say big whoop. So he held out for that. And I'm sure whether it was his agent, family, or even friends for that matter, probably said, you don't want to go the route of Le'Veon Bell. Yes, you are sacrificing your body. Yes, you are even sacrificing a ton of dollars. But I would think based on this signing, this is the beginning of the end of Saquon Barkley as a giant. Both ways, whether he has a monster first-team All-Pro year, even if the Giants make some hay in the postseason, not to say they're going to go to a Super Bowl, but let's say he has that killer year where he could be in the MVP running. You think the Giants are going to fork over a big-time contract at the end of the day? Absolutely not. At that point, they're going to franchise him again because in that contract, he is not immune to not getting the franchise tag come next offseason. So, you know, if he has that 16, 1,700-yard rushing year, 15, 16 touchdowns, X amount of receptions and touchdowns from that end, they could say, franchise, and that's it. And you know he's not going to go down that road again. So, that's number one. And then the second thing is is that even if he has a bad year and God forbid gets hurt, the Giants aren't going to resign him anyway. So, this is Barkley now putting himself... Similar to Aaron Judge pushing all those chips in the middle of the table, knowing that the Giants are not going to fork over big-time bucks if he has a great year, or if he does get hurt and has an underwhelming year, he's going to walk out that door and who knows what he's going to get from the next team that's going to sign him. So something to keep in mind here as we move along throughout training camp and into the regular season. And then you've had other players that have gotten their big-time money, including his own teammate. In a one, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, who got the biggest contract for an offensive lineman in the history of the sport, five years, one hundred and seventeen million dollars, with sixty-seven million guaranteed. So at least he's going to be on that left side to block for Barkley, which is going to be huge to open those gaping holes for Barkley to run through to get those yards and hopefully get the bigger payday come next year. Trevon Diggs signs with Dallas, five years. It could be up to one hundred and four million. Ninety-seven point five is the number. So the Cowboys. Who a lot of people think can make some noise there in the NFC. But the NFC is weak when you think about it. Outside of Philadelphia and San Francisco. So digs you have there in the fold this coming year. And then Justin Herbert gets his big time payday. $262 million. one hundred thirty-three million fully guaranteed. one hundred ninety-three million with injury guarantees. That's the first time I've seen that type of wording. I guess for lack of a better word. When it comes to a contract. So if... Herbert does get hurt at some point. He could get up to 193 million dollars guaranteed, but 133 of that is fully guaranteed for him, the Charger quarterback. So he's going to be in tow for the next few years, and pretty much the last quarterback that is looking to get his big time payday is the one Joe Burrow. And you would think b- before it's all said and done, he's going to be the highest paid player in the sport, especially if Burrow goes out and has another killer year, takes his team to another championship game, maybe is in the MVP running. Burrow, even if he's not, he's going to get an upwards of somewhere in that lofty vicinity of $260, 270000000 million. And when it's all said and done, he's going to be the guy on the top of the NFL payday mountain before it's all said and done. And that's what you have with the NFL. Let me pivot. I want to stick with the football theme with college football before I get to a few other things. So, word has come down, although it's not official where the Michigan coach, Jim Harbaugh, looks like he's going to be suspended for four games, the first four games of the season, for recruiting violations during the COVID year. And what that boils down to is that he bought some, I would think, McDonald's or Wendy's for some players that they were looking to recruit. And as we all know, that is a violation of the NCAA rules. And we get it that it's crooked, and we get it that it's even shady for that matter, that a coach can't buy a few kids some Whoppers or what Big Macs, whatever you want to call it, as they are looking to see if they could bring these guys on their campus to their university to be a part of their team, to be a part of the program. And because of that, Harbaugh is looking to see if he's going to have to sit out these first four games. Now, granted, Harbaugh, who tries to be holier than thou, wasn't forthright with the information when the NCAA started to investigate this, where he actually lied about not crossing any boundaries or not violating any policies when it comes to the recruiting process. And maybe he thought that when it was brought up to him that, hey, did you buy these guys lunch? And I'm sure he probably said no. Now granted, if this is during the pandemic year of 2020, and maybe he did forget about paying for a few of these players' lunches, and whether or not he tried to sweep that under the rug and not make that a big of a deal, well, shame on him for not saying that, yeah, I did buy lunch or at least sitting to recollect of whether or not that happened. Maybe he could have come across to say that, yes, I may have bought lunch. I really don't know. It was so long ago, whatever. But be that as it may, Harbaugh, who's a guy that in the last two years was able to get over the hump beating Ohio State, as we know, during the regular season, and was just either lambasted in the first semifinal game against Georgia two years ago, and then was embarrassed. I get it, the game was close, but they did everything and anything to hand TCU that game to win, and as we saw TCU, they also got lambasted themselves in the championship game. What was it, 61-7? But Harbaugh, a guy as we all know, tough guy, very good coach, whether it was the NFL or here in college. But again, it's going to come across as the smartest guy in the room. It's going to come across as a guy like, what, me? I didn't do anything. I'm Jim Harbaugh and you're not. Well, here he's going to have to sit out four games, which is a joke when you think about it, because I get it that he didn't do anything that was maybe overboard, where maybe he was paying for plane tickets for these kids to come to Ann Arbor to see whether or not he could recruit them or do anything that was really dirty To maybe have him sit out for more than just four games. Because when you think about it. The four games that he's going to have to sit out. Are Rutgers. Eastern Carolina. Teams like that. UNLV. It's not as if he's going to miss out the Ohio State game. Or Penn State. Or Michigan State. Those games he's going to make. So to think that Harbaugh is going to be a guy. That is going to be out of the locker room or certainly not gonna be a part of the team where he could pretty much coach all week up until midnight Saturday and then could be back on campus Sunday after midnight is an absolute joke. If you're suspended, he should have no ifs, ands, buts. And maybe it's about him being a part of the staff coaching. I get it that maybe there'll be an email or a phone call during the middle of the week, but to me this is just the NCAA doing their part to All right, Jim, we're going to have to slap you on the wrist with this suspension, but you could also be a part of your team throughout the week. You could be a part of these meetings only up until Friday at 11.59 p.m. And then Sunday at 12.01 a.m., you could be a part of the team. It's a joke. And for Harbaugh, him not being up front and telling the NCAA, yes, this is what went on. And he probably still would have gotten the four games as it was, but... It's just a sad state of affairs when it comes to college sports and what they do with these coaches and players to a certain extent. It's just, uh, I mean, what more can you say? So I had to throw my two cents in on that. Now let me move on to the NBA because you had a huge signing. What was it? Tuesday? Where Jalen Brown, who was a second team All-NBA player and was able to get the Supermax deal where a lot of people thought it was going to be $295 million, which still is a boatload of money, but what he got here, ended up being the richest contract in the history of the NBA, five years, and let's round it off, 304 million dollars, I think it ends up being 303.7 million, and his four guys, I mentioned, second team All-NBA, he's not even the best player on his team, as we all know, Jason Tatum, who is first team All-NBA, and is due for his own Supermax contract next summer. If Brown got this amount of money, what do you think Tatum's going to get next year? 340 350 Now, I'm not going to knock the contract or the amount of money that it is for this reason. With the way the CBA is, and with the money going up as far as the salary cap, as well as the TV deal, and... You have this window where, although the top players are going to make that type of money, but that means there's going to be nothing left for the rest. And we understand there's been a salary cap for years. But how you manipulate it, it's avoiding the super team. So you can't have those three guys, LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, to where, and I get it, they took significant pay cuts for them, in order for them to have that run in Miami back in the mid-20-teens. But this is going to refute that. This is going to put a halt to having those players that whether or not, in this case, if you're going to have Tatum and Brown in the same team, then it's going to be scraps for everybody else. Now, yes, I understand that the Celtics extended Chris Dasporzingis to what? Two years, $60 million on top of the 36 he's going to get this year. Well, remember, those contracts aren't going to kick in until two years especially for Brown and then Tatum is going to be the year after because they're going to still play out their rookie deals before those big time deals come into play so when we get to the 2025-26 season then that's when all hell's going to break loose to the point where you're going to have those two players and then who's going to be on the Celtics you're going to have a bunch of role players that are going to make a million dollars to fill out the rest of that roster as well as the salary cap in order for them to put forth a team so right now it's going to pay dividends for a team like the Celtics to have those three guys Brown Tatum and Porzingis to be the bulk of their payroll but then down the road forget about it different story but with all that being said and done to go back to the contract we know that Jalen Brown's not worth that much money we get it that he's not even a top 20 player in the league. And he's probably close to that if I went down the list. And I'm not going to do that. I'm sure you know who the top 20 players are in the sport. But this is a clear cut case of the old saying, don't hate the player, hate the game. Because this is not on Brown for him to get that money. It's not as if he asked the Celtics, I want five years and $304 million. It's the system. It's the game. And if he wasn't, an all NBA player, he wouldn't have gotten this money. But because he did make second team all NBA, guess what? He becomes the guy that, as we talked about earlier, trying to be on the top of the payroll mountain if you're Saquon Barkley when it comes to running backs. Well, Jalen Brown is the poster child for the richest player, not only just in the history of the sport, but of course in the league as it's currently constituted. And God bless him. Now, is this a mistake on the franchise for giving him all this money? What are you going to do? Are you going to trade him to Portland to bring in Damian Lillard, who would be an upgrade, but by the time you're going to pay him $60 million, he's going to be 36, 37 years of age, where Brown is what, 27 off the top of my head? So you're going to go with the younger player. You're going to go with the guy who still has potential to grow, and hopefully he's working on his left-handed dribble as we speak, but... As I mentioned at the end of the playoff run that they had, losing to the Heat there in seven, it was one that was not going to sit well with me paying him that money, but you have to do it. Where else are the Celtics going to go here? They're not going to bring back a player that's going to be better than Brown, and you're not going to trade for younger players because you're going to have to look at the money here that's involved. You got to bring back a bad contract if that's the case, whether it's expiring or not. And you're going to bring back potential in the form of maybe future first round picks. I get it. But this was a deal that unfortunately the Celtics had to make. And I'm sure they were reluctant to fork over all this money for a guy who is a very good player. But is he a top 20, top 15? And I get it. He was a top 10 player based on the All-NBA nod. But is he going to be that guy year in and year out as a bonafide All-NBA player? To me, that still remains to be seen. And right now, he's a part of the mix. And now you to have to worry about Tatum there come next year. And again, it's not as if Tatum's going in there with a ski mask and a gun to say, I want $340 million. One more time, people, don't hate the player, hate the game. And that's how the game is going to be played here where the Celtics going to have to fork over five Brinks trucks of worth of money in order to keep these players and their nucleus intact. So get used to his people because that's how the NBA is going to operate from here on out. And then I have to throw some thoughts and prayers over to Bronny James. I'm sure you heard about him suffering cardiac arrest, that he's in stable condition. Thankfully, he's not critical. And I'm sure everybody has sent a lot of well wishes and here I am doing the same for Bronny James where he went into cardiac arrest during a practice at USC. We all know He's probably going to be a kid that may be one and done when it's all said and done. But for Bronny James, thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to him for a speedy recovery and who knows what his status is going to be come the fall when the colleges start to reconvene and get themselves together for the Midnight Madness, which used to be in November, but now it's late October where the college basketball season starts in early November. So hopefully he has a very speedy recovery and has that college career even if it's for one year ahead of him as a Trojan at USC all right I'll wrap up with a few rapid fire things from three different really four different sports when you think about it even though there's two and one when it comes to boxing in the MMA I'll start off with the NHL Patrice Bergeron the longtime Bruin 19 years and it's interesting to think that when you look at the Bruin Mount Rushmore he would probably have to be there to go along with Bobby Orr, Ray Bork, you got to throw in Bergeron. Would you throw in Cam Neely? You have to throw in Phil Esposito, right? He would probably be your number four. I wouldn't even think. And that's a good one. Because Neely was more of a fan favorite there where Bergeron, of course everybody loved him. And he was a fan favorite. He was a captain after Zdeno Chara. Understood. And you could argue whether or not he would knock out Cam Neely. That would be for my cousin and longtime former radio partner, JD, to answer on whether or not Bergeron, and you would think he belongs there because, remember, Neely wasn't an original Bruin. He came over by trade from the Vancouver Canucks there in the, right before, I believe, the 86, 87 year, and as we all know, had a Hall of Fame career, and he's an executive there in the Bruin staff. But for Bergeron, what did he have, 427 goals? He won a million Selkie trophies for the best defensive forward, In the sport. I believe he won it six times. And I would think based on that. Him being that two-way player that he was. Had over a thousand points. He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And I get it. 19 years of consistency. And at times great play. Is what's going to get you into the Hockey Hall of Fame. We understand that he was dominant. From that perspective of him being that two-way player. When you think of all-time greats. Those Bergeron stick out, I can't say he does, but I guess the one player that you could compare him to, and I don't have his stats right here, actually this was popped up in my head when I thought about it, when you think of one of the great two-way players in the history of the sport, and granted, the guy who won a million Stanley Cups is Bob Gainey, with the Montreal Canadiens, and maybe what I'll do is a little exercise for Monday, I'll briefly bring it up, I'll compare Bergeron to Gainey, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to say Ganey, Not only were on better teams, but also was all around probably a better two-way player because Ganey did not score a ton of goals himself, but he was such an impact player and such a glue guy on a team that was one of the all-time greats when you think back to those Canadian teams of the mid-70s. So Bergeron, off into the sunset, 19 years, probably a Mount Rushmore guy when it comes to the Boston Bruins, so congratulations to him. And then you have Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes gets his big payday, eight years, $78 million, as Carolina who had a big-time year last year and then fizzled out in the conference final against the Panthers, as we remember. So Aho is going to stay put there with the Hurricanes with that big-time deal. And then some sad news as Rocky Wirtz, the CEO of the Blackhawks, died suddenly the other day at the age of 70 no cause of death was announced, so that's unknown, just a statement to inform that his passing was sudden, and obviously very tragic, so thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Words family, as they've owned that team forever, dating back to his dad, Will, or Bill, excuse me, so who is the heir apparent? I believe one of the sons will be in charge, but Rocky Words passed away there, and as we know, Was part of those Stanley Cup victories there in the 20 teens, 2010, 13, and 15. Also, has that scandal in the early part of the decade where Joel Quenville had to be let go with the coach and the allegations of sexual misconduct towards players or towards other coaches. So, you have that on his resume during his tenure there as the CEO and president of the Blackhawks. But be that as it may, he transitions at the age of 70. And then the close, you have a couple of bouts this week in the MMA and in boxing, and I'll start off with the boxing. You have a fight that may have been long overdue, and you have to wonder whether or not this fight should have taken place three, four, five years ago. Now, when you look at the names, Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford, I'm sure the fight fan's going to salivate because, as I've said time after time after time, you have really nothing. To sink your teeth into. When it comes to boxing. We talked about that fight a couple of months ago. Where we had Javante Davis. And the kid Garcia going at it one another. And to me Garcia. Ryan Garcia that is. Didn't really show up. He won maybe two rounds tops. So as he got knocked out there in the seventh round by KO. So to me that was the last big fight. Between now and then. I believe it was another fight. But in between those two. But. Nothing to really get your arms wrapped around when it comes to the sport of boxing. But this one, I wonder if it's a little, too little too late for two guys that have not lost. Spence is 28-0 with 22 knockouts. Crawford 39-0 with 39, oh excuse me, 39-0 with 30 knockouts. And will I even watch come Saturday night? I guess I have to pay attention to that. I have an early day Sunday and I have a lot of driving to look forward to. On Sunday. So I don't know if I'm going to stay up for this. Of course when I wake up. I'll keep an eye. And maybe. Record it and watch it. Sometime before the podcast on Monday. But. Even though the names. Are. Marquee material. Is this going to be a great fight? I don't know. I'm sure boxing is hoping that. I'm sure boxing. Is. Looking forward to. A bunch of pay-per-view. Buys. And maybe some juice for them to have the fight fan not only purchase, but maybe something to talk about Sunday and even into Monday for that matter. I don't know. I can't even tell you. Let's hope it's a good fight. Let's hope it's something to talk about. Who knows? I know based on their name alone, it's one that I'm sure the casual or even big time boxing fan will gravitate to. But as you well know, as you've heard me over the years, boxing is literally on life support. And if this is going to be a fight that I think that could have the potential to maybe be, dare I even say classic, but just an overall good fight. I wish I could say yes, but I don't trust the fight overall. Not necessarily the opponents, but for it to be a big time fight. Because there's a part of me that thinks that this fight should have taken place three, four years ago, which would have been a better fight. That would have been younger. Crawford, I think, is what? Off the top of my head, I believe he's 35. Spence is 33. Not to say that they're over the hill by any stretch, but you know what I'm saying when it comes to this being a better fight if this is taking place maybe before the pandemic. How about that? So you got that there on Saturday night. And then UFC, I get it. This is one that we've seen before with Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaithy. These two have fought before. And I know that Maybe for the diehard UFC fight fan, they're going to look forward to watching this more so than the boxing match because we know it's all about MMA and UFC in this day and age more so than your old-fashioned boxing match. But I would think this will be another all-out battle. This will be another one that, who knows, with the legacy of this fight based on their previous fight and their previous match, who knows. Now, I'm sure this will probably take place a little bit before the Spence Jr. Crawford fight, but let's see how it plays out. Let's see if it's going to be as advertised and come Monday, I'll discuss it. I'll try to be on top of this people. Cause like I said, I'm going to be driving a lot on Sunday. So I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not a guy that could go to bed at 1.00 AM to wake up at seven, to have to be out by nine and then drive two and a half hours somewhere. One way that is not just two and a half hours total, So your favorite little podcast host is gonna have to get some rest here, but I'll be on top of it. I'll analyze and I'll present it to you on Monday, my thoughts, feelings, etc., on what's gonna take place there in Vegas with both of these matches, as we have that to look forward to and everything else that I talked about tonight heading into the weekend. And of course, when we reconnect there on Monday. That'll do it, my good people. That was a lot to get into in under one hour, and that's what I try to do to keep it tidy. Of course, having that one-hour window to discuss all these sports is what not only the goal is, but what I love to do and what I love to put forth. And it's going to get busier as we get into the month of August, of course, with the NFL. College football will be more into our consciousness at that time. The race and the pennant chase for baseball as we get deeper into the summer, as we get closer to getting out of the sports dead zone as I present to you two podcasts a week. This one was three with the guest. And hopefully with more guests down the pike. I'll have plenty more podcasts for you. With some guests online. And this is what I love to do people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say. And I'll get to that right now. As we close out this podcast. If you haven't done so. Please subscribe. Rate review. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials. On YouTube. At J Reels. Which I post daily. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels One, just the number. And if you want to hit me up on my DMs or by email, the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, you know. This is what I love to talk about. Sports, one more time, in the blood and the DNA, as I like to say. There isn't anything else I want to do other than to bring my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques praise with nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody, and until next time on the J Reels Podcast, On the flip, baby.